Hello and welcome to It's Your Favourite Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I recruit you to help me with my fiancé's musical education. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew. And what better way to start a Halloween weekend than by speaking by our go-to source for all things spooky, horror musical writer Jared Good. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Appropriately spooky. That's like a proper Vincent (laughs) Price levels of spooky introduction. Yeah. That's that's what I'm here for. Um, I am so honored to be asked to be here and so excited to finally be talking to the two of you. I know. Mm-hmm. We feel like we've known you for years at this point, and this is the first time we're actually talking using like our voices and not tweets. Mm-hmm. It's it's true, but when you when you look at the length of the tweet or the like DMs that I've sent you over time and like expressing my thoughts about things, yes, you've you've gotten you've gotten to know my psyche pretty well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it feels like we've known you a long time. I think the most jarring thing for Drew is that it's your voice coming out saying your thoughts as opposed to me speaking your thoughts. Yeah, normally Danny just reads me what you send and and I hear it through his voice, but you actually have a. A human voice, so that's fun. Which makes me want to sing a song from Anne and the Apocalypse. Exactly, I was going to say, is that a deliberate (laughs) Anne? Exactly why I said that. Oh, very good. (laughs) Yes, for our listeners out there, uh, Jared introduced us to Anna and the Apocalypse, which yeah. was how we started the Christmas season last mm-hmm. year, and it's nearly been a year, and I've already watched that film three times since then. So, it's amazing. Your favorite spooky Christmas Halloween musical. Right, move over Spooky Nightmare Halloween. Before Christmas. Yeah, that's right. It thought it had the edge, the corner on it, and along comes Anna. Exactly. Oh, I want that as a stage show. Like I would pay good money to see that as a stage show. Yeah, it would be great. And I, I'm curious if maybe they've actually talked to people about doing that. Oh, I hope so. I'll have to tweet constantly and start a hashtag and see what we can get going because it would rock you would want to play the teacher yes <laughs> nothing's gonna stop it's me it's a great role it is isn't it oh i love that i love it but we're not here to talk about anna and the apocalypse though we could yeah as much as we definitely could what is your favorite musical this was a very difficult decision, um, but I ultimately arrived at Kiss of the Spider Woman. Nice. The Candor and Ebb musical. Yes. I'm so excited because I think when we started the concept for this show, I was thinking it'd be great. There's going to be musicals that Drew's never heard of, and we're going to get to talk about them with people. And every month, not that like I'm, you know against Rocky Horror or against Little Shop of Horrors. I've it loved has talk- been ones that you've seen, though. The only exception being Snipper and the Rose, but I was at least already aware of the, like, well, I know the soundtrack, mm-hmm. but Snipper and the Rose, it was Cinderella. How different can it be? I know absolutely nothing about this one, and I'm so excited to talk about it with you. Yeah. Great. The, you know, the only drawback is that if, if you aren't as familiar with the show, it means that I'm going to have to talk more. I mean, not that I have a problem talking, but. <laughs> well, and that some of this stuff is going to make no sense to you. Yeah. Because I've seen this. Exactly. Well, but not a professional. I've seen a, an Amdram production of this, which is interesting on its own. But yeah, this is, some of this stuff is not going to make any sense to you as a having not seen it. No. Which is always fun. Well, the most I know about it is is that it's written by Terence McNally, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. written a lot of different shows, you know, and some of them I'm familiar with, some of them I'm not, but the name was like, oh, I, I recognise this name. Mm-hmm. I recognise some of these things that he's done. That's very, very cool. So The Full Monty, Catch Me If You Can, Anastasia, which I assume is the Disney adaptation. Or not Disney, but... The not Disney, not the film, but also kind of the film adaptation. (laughs) But that's a very weird CV that we're going to talk about, you know, this crazy horror-esque musical Mm -hmm. written by the same man who wrote Anastasia. Do you know anything about what this is about? No. Cool. Well, fortunately, we have the expert to enlighten us. That's you. Oh, that's me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Great. Um, okay, so we are in an Argentinian prison, and we we join prisoner Molina, um, and Molina was a window dresser who has been imprisoned for quote unquote corrupting a minor male. We'll get into wow. That in a bit yeah um and so his he has a new cellmate valentine who is uh, a revolutionary and melina is a very clearly queer and valentine is much more you know machismo and there is a, a strong line kind of driven between the two of them initially um and Melina, we learn his mother was a projectionist uh, in a cinema house. And as he was growing up, he would really just kind of get lost in the, the fantasy of the films that he would see, specifically the films of um, Aurora, this like incredible diva actress. And while he's in prison, he sort of uses those films as a way to escape the harsh reality of being in prison um and so you know we're oftentimes kind of thrust into these really like lush fantasy musical sequences oh, nice. uh, which are are meant to you know represent these different movies that aurora was in but there was one particular role that always frightened him and that was when aurora played the spider woman and the spider woman and that's you know, outside of obviously just like uh, a prison being spooky, you know, th this isn't a horror musical, um, but it does have sort of spooky elements, atmospheric stuff. And that comes through, I think, most distinctly with the Spider Woman. And he is afraid of her because when she would kiss a man, he would die. And he is, Molina is sort of constantly haunted Ooh. throughout the piece by presence of the spider woman oh, I like um, that. and so you know as these two unexpected cellmates like as their relationship grows they they become more friends that he sort of helps valentine or sort of like escorts valentine a bit into his fantasy world um and 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 they grow closer and I recognize that not everyone's necessarily going to see this, but like, how do we feel in terms of spoiling things? Oh, go for it. Spoilers. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of those weirdos who reads spoilers before I see things anyway, but I I mean, I'm the one that knows what this is, but you, do you mind? No, go for it. Cool. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. So it, it gets, you know, there, there's a bit of plot <laughs> and, um, <laughs> So um, Melina is supposed to be getting out. And so Valentine wants him to do a, a favor um, and, and make a call and sort of related to his revolutionary work. Um, and there is, you know, as this sort of relationship is built, there's been this kind of, you know, like, romantic tension thing that's happened a bit like Melina clearly has feelings for Valentine and Valentine they end up sleeping together um and w which sort of I think helps encourage Melina to do a favor for Valentine on the outside and he ultimately he does make this call but he was being tracked um he, and he gets to see his mother and stuff when he's out too, but ultimately he dies. Um, oh no. He gets killed. Um, Molina does. And in the end, there's um, a number, which is sort of like another fantasy sequence where he is kind of, he's the lead of the fantasy sequence now. Um, and it's a great number. And I think because you have been haunted by the, Spider Woman this entire time, you kind of know that the threat of death is always there. Yeah. Um, 
but I have, you know, mixed feelings about all of this because, well, and I don't, I guess we're still talking about plot, so I won't get ahead of myself here. And I also didn't get into all the specific details of the plot. Um, you know, the like balancing. Well, and also just because, you know, it's just like the, the intricacies of like Melina possibly being a bit of like a double agent, like, and and being there to sort of get information out of Valentine, um, and that there's cool. a bit of a turn that happens. Uh, you know, Valentine is being like subjected to a lot of um, abuse in the prison, and Aurora, this or, or some version of like you know the the Aurora fantasy comes to like tend to his wounds, and um, what else? Oh, and then Marta, who is uh, Valentine's love on the outside um you know there's like a whole bit where we learn about her and his relationship with her and more about melina's relationship with his mother who's really kind of his main girl um and then also this waiter that melina had had a thing for who was always very nice to him but he ultimately learns that the waiter is not interested no they're waitress then for us as well (laughs) In a super uh, <laughs> gateway. Yeah. Definitely. So I'm just looking at the, the little bits of like behind the scenes stuff on this. And I didn't realize that when it came to the West End in 92, Rob Marshall was one of the co-choreographers. Yeah. And we like Rob We love Mar- Rob Marshall. <laughs> but it looks well, that's like... true. A- yeah, you guys are big Rob Marshall fans. But so it, it looks like it's absolutely fantastic... I'm just looking through the summary as well. One of the things I love is that idea you said that actually Melina might be like a double agent and is like trying to get information out of this person by being on their side and then and then not. And I love that idea. One of my favorite plays is a is a play called The Pillow Man. Oh yeah, I've seen The Pillow Man. I, I love The Pillow Man, and I love the idea of you know, the deceit that happens within these prisons here and like making people think they're on side, but using that backdrop of these these stories as well. So in The Pillow Man, we see these different fairy tales, but within this, you've got the films of Aurora that set the backdrop to different set pieces. And I just, I love the idea. And it's, it's like reading through the plot. There's a lot I don't understand, but I would love to see how it comes to life. It must be one of those that you have to see it to truly like get caught up in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, because so much of it really is atmosphere. And, you know, I think with a really good production that you can be completely swept up in the the fantasy of it, you know, that the the prison aspect is brutal. Um, and then the, the fantasy element is really incredible. And, and you're dealing with Candor and Ebb, who, you know, I think in having this sort of like postmodern approach of moving in and out of uh, these like fantasy sequences. One, one reason that I also think that this would work great as a film, I mean, it actually has been a film, but just not a musical film. Um, but I mean, I would love yeah. to see it realized as a musical film um, mm-hmm. because similar to the way that they approached the film version of Chicago, um, where they're, you know, moving in and out of like fantasy to the musical sequences a lot of that could be done here as well and that you have that very stark contrast of the movies and then the prison reality rob marshall <laughs> rob marshall yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah because candor and ebb did chicago as well exactly yeah it's you know chicago cabaret or kind of there and mm. i think yeah that's one of the things we talked about with chicago was that it was rob marshall's vision of the prison's real, but the musical sequences are rocks. All inside her head. Yeah, are yeah. all inside her head. Oh, I love this. I want to see this so much now. So what is it? We've talked about the plot, but when were you first introduced to this? Was this one you saw, you know, early on in your life? Is this quite like a defining musical for you? Or is this one that you just stumbled across and fell in love? It's a, it's a bit more of the the stumble across. I when I was younger, I had definitely seen the Cheetah Rivera poster for it. It's like um, you know the, this image of her with the the web on her face. You know this um, veil that looks like a web. 
Um, yes. That's like the Playbill picture one, isn't it? Oh yeah, exactly. So I was, I was always intrigued by that, uh, but I had never really looked into it. And then it was my freshman year in college. Um, our school that also is like technically a, a professional theater because it is like the university theater, but also was like Nevada. I forget exactly what they were called. Nevada Conservatory Theater or something. And, and they did a production that was honestly spectacular and probably the best, if not one of the best things that I ever saw done there. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't see, I didn't see it on Broadway or anything, um, but that production was really incredible. And um, from that, I sought out, I actually initially heard the Vanessa Williams cast recording, which happened she took over for Cheetah Rivera, wow. uh, but it was still technically in the first run. But even so, they still did an additional cast recording with her and Brian Stokes Mitchell, who, yeah, I mean, I just adore Brian Stokes Mitchell. And, you know, that that really made me fall in love with him. Um, and then, of course, I, you know, uh, listened to the Cheetah Rivera version um, I actually haven't read, you know, it's, it's based on a novel. I haven't read the novel. I haven't seen the film it's based on, uh, which you would think I would. <laughs> um, but the musical element of it is such a, a major part of what I love about it. Yeah. And so I think I felt less compelled to look into those other, the, the source material, even though I'm really intrigued by the original novel because it's, it's not really like written in a traditional way. I think it's really just kind of written as dialogue that doesn't even indicate necessarily who's speaking. Um, almost like a Sarah Kane play or something. Yeah, I do love some Sarah Kane as well. Oh, I need to reread some of her stuff. That was a big part of my university was reading Sarah Kane. I have no idea who that is. <sighs> she wrote <laughs> because some... we've fallen into the trap of. I know a lot about musical theater and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, this is this is its own thing for sure. I mean, Sarah Kane was part of sort of this like the in your face theater yeah. movement that happened. Um, Mark Ravenhill is the yeah. another big player in that, and then I think Tracy Letts gets grouped into that. At, you know, he's an American writer um, who did Killer Joe and Bug and. August Osage County. Oh, I saw that film. Yeah, uh, that particular piece wouldn't really be grouped into this category, but uh, he he often gets sort of linked with what was happening in the kind of the British in your face theater movement. I have to talk about you sometime. I have to introduce you to one or two of her carefully selected plays. Yes. She's a very, very interesting figure, Sarah Kane. Mm -hmm. So you've only ever seen this one done at a college theater you've never had a chance to see it professionally done correct although technically the theater at the college was considered a, a professional theater yeah. um it just unfortunately doesn't get performed that often so the the opportunities to see it are are fairly few and far between um i am curious to sort of hear drew's experience with the production that um she attended <laughs> well i kind of it's kind of the same as yours except because it was a college production um the difference being college here is your last two years of high school oh, okay uh so it was like 17 and 18 year olds wow <laughs> was not terrible like it was staged really well because i went to a a art sixth form and our musical theater program was amazing and like very very well funded so it was really nicely done but in a like the the main three guys who were in it so uh melina and valentin and the girl who was playing aurora they wanted to do that show like that was their choice so they'd put it on and I believe the girl who played Aurora was directing it as well. So it was it was like a passion project for them. So it was really good. 
and really interesting. And then I watched, because I liked it, I was like, oh, I'd love to see a proper version of this. And I went online and completely legally watched a version of it. Sure. And <laughs> a slime tutorial. Yeah. Um, and right. <laughs> was like, oh, no, okay. This, this college version was nothing like what this should be like. Because yeah. it, it was way less, not less spooky, but it was too cheerful. Did it lack the Interesting. Atmosphere? Yeah, definitely. It definitely, yeah. they definitely like, missed the point. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. A bit. I, sure. Uh, I, yeah, I feel very fortunate that I was able to see this production um, at the university because when I did see... Um, footage of the the Broadway production, it felt very comparable. Um, they clearly had the money to like do the sets and like do the full choreography and the costumes and you know like the big Spider Woman lift was really impressive. There's a um, lift. Well just that she you know she's just um they fly her oh, cool. at one point just just up, you know and um, I definitely have a clip of that somewhere that I can show you after we please do because it, it's very very cool yeah and and really I guess maybe when we talk about like the the favorite songs or moments from the show like that's certainly one of them mm-hmm. um her alphabet moments I guess <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah so you know and and the the quality of the performances and it just really it nailed it and I was familiar with other musicals that went into dark subject matter. Um, you know, I was really, I really loved Assassins and I think of some others that would have really fallen under that category. Um, but well, you've seen Carrie, right? I haven't seen Carrie. I've heard uh, the, well, I, I've, I've heard the, the soundboard of the, um, I think it was the original um, but yeah, I, they, there was a production out here that I wish I had gone to. Because mm. I think that's always good, Carrie. And it gets real dark real quick. My only oh, experience of Carrie is Riverdale. <laughs> that's <laughs> not a good experience with Carrie. We're going to fix that soon. But Well, and that that actually is something worth noting, too, is Katie Keene, had you, were you familiar with Katie Keene? Which was like a, it was like a spinoff, I think, of Riverdale, that only lasted. Oh my god! Like- yes, I do know what that is. It's Lucy Hale, but yes, it's, it's Josie and the Pussycats, but they like leave Riverdale. Exactly. I, mean, I didn't watch the whole season. It was really in preparation for talking to you all about Kiss of the Spider Woman that I realized that they had done an episode about Kiss of the Spider Woman, and so. I was like, oh, I need to watch this. And uh, wait, and like, uh, they did a musical episode on it, or a like it just comes up. It there is a character in it, um, Jorge, who is a drag performer and wants to do a production of Kiss of the Spider Woman, and so uh, they they are basically putting up this small production um and then throughout the episode because i I, i'm not sure like how the other episodes work in terms of the music element of it but there's if it's anything like riverdale i can uh tell you it's far and few between and completely random (laughs) well that may be uh like even within this particular episode they were utilizing songs from the Kiss of the Spider Woman for like different scenes that weren't necessarily direct. I mean, it, it might be like connected yeah. to the production, but that is like... exactly what they do, though. Like they, Got it. they did. Do you know Heather's very well? Oh yeah, I love Heather's. Yeah. So, Dead Girl Walking in the Riverdale musical episode was used for a girl to break up with her girlfriend and then go and get with another girl and a guy who I believe was her ex and hook up with them on the school stage. 
Oh. And they use dead girl walking for that. <laughs> I was like, why? Interesting. Like, <laughs> Super interesting. But they use them for like really random stuff. Yeah, so it was it was a similar kind of approach where yeah, we would get some songs that were done, you know, within the context of actual performance, and then, you know, one song that's being used to encourage Jorge to, to not give up on this production, and then another one where it's like two other characters like unrelated to i i'm trying to even remember like what the specifics as to like why they were singing it but probably one of my favorite songs they're singing and it's just like i don't understand why this is here another one where you know i jorge's father is like struggling with kind of accepting jorge's identity and his mother sings that you you could never shame me from the musical to him Oh my god! And, and it just, yeah, it just doesn't feel. It feels a little bit forced, I guess. Um, I mean, I do recognize that the writer, who I, I guess I think he's the creator of the the spinoff, um, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, um, also a playwright. I'm sure that he has an affinity for Kiss of the Spider Woman, and I love the fact that they are. I mean, that he wanted to incorporate it as a musical that people might not be as familiar with in order to give people familiarity. But the application of the material, I, I'm not sure that it necessarily does justice to Kiss of the Spider Woman. Uh, even like the production that they end up doing, it's really only like a couple of people. Um, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, it's partly a budget thing too, but. I wasn't really sure how they were intending on actually doing this full production with <laughs> a couple individuals. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to watch just that episode of Casey Keen after we've done all of the other Riverdale just musical so episodes. But it does sound like this is very much like one of those cult musicals that, you know, has a, had a short life and lives on mostly through like word of mouth. It is interesting. There's a lot of shows I love. But when I read them, and if I, as a drama teacher, you know, when I was a drama student, was approached with how do you say this, I would have no idea where to start it. I need to see it, not so that I can copy it, but to kind of prompt me and be like, oh, so that's how this is done. Mm. I had that with School of Rock that I was really struggling with the how do I get things on and off stage. And when I saw, again, whilst directing it, the kids run on with their their chairs and desks on wheels I thought great that's how we're gonna do it mm. sometimes you just need to visualize it and this feels like one of those very atmospheric shows that isn't just coming from the performance of the actors but also from the crew and sure. if you don't see it you can only get so much of it from listening to the soundtrack or reading the book mm -hmm. that you're gonna miss out on the point and you know clearly it's inspired a lot of people if it you know if its legacy is that it hasn't been performed in America since a brief tour in 2007. But if it's being done in TV shows, like this is one of those important shows that maybe influenced people that just isn't spoken about. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think that when it originally came out, you know, there, because there had been the novel and there had been the film with Raul Julia and William Hurt that a lot of people were familiar with at the time. And then there was a stage play, uh, which I think was done in London, maybe. Um, so not a musical, just a stage. Uh, exactly. Then, and that all happened before the musical. Oh, wow. So it was it was definitely, you know, in the in in the in the zeitgeist for a while, um, and and then the, you know the musical was able to kind of carry that forward for a bit because, you know, you you had a a large production. I mean, you had big Broadway folks attached to this, you know, not only having like Cheetah starring, but Harold Prince directing. Um, I mean, these are huge names and, and Terrence McNally, Kander and Ebb being involved. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a notable work, but beyond the nineties, it just, I don't know that it has managed to, stay in the conversation that much and it's certainly influential I, I think the you know the music is incredible 
there are discussions around queer identity and kind of like what the queer representation in Kiss of the Spider-Woman is Mm-hmm. would at least be one reason I think that people might be reticent to produce it now. Um, yeah. Or th- there's, there's certainly more investigation that needs to happen. You know, I, when I originally saw it, I was still closeted. Um, and I don't know that I had seen a lot of musicals that really explored queer identity in that way, even though the whole like corrupting a minor thing is something that bumps me. And I don't, having not read the source material, I don't know even necessarily what that means because when you're dealing with living in an oppressive government that is gonna sort of criminalize you just for being a homosexual, I don't know if like the crime itself is what we interpret it to be. Yeah. Well, so far as I'm aware, and this is just from doing some good old research, but like not into this specifically, but just like LGBTQ litigation as a thing. Right. Because I spend my free time doing fun things like that. Um, <laughs> sure. Corrupting a minor is like you get caught being gay just by a corrupt government and the person you're with being under the age of, I think it's 21 can just turn you in and be like, Oh no, they corrupted me. This is their fault. Like I wasn't doing anything wrong. They forced me essentially, which sucks obviously. Uh, But yeah, in this case, I believe it is that. Because even thinking about sort of like the, the Russian laws that were, created around sort of like homosexual propaganda or whatever, like, you know, this idea that like there's not concrete um, uh, or it's not concretely defined what it means to even necessarily be uh, providing homosexual propaganda or like what it really is. Um, yeah. And that it really just sort of feels like this umbrella thing to just arrest mm-hmm. any gay person that you want to. Um, so yeah, in this particular case, there's certainly a, there's a part of me that really badly at least wants to believe that, that there it is tied somewhere to like the corrupt government and just the perceptions of homosexuality. Um, at the same time, it could be, exactly what a lot of people's brains might go to immediately and that's certainly you know it's not every character can be perfect and it's something that you don't often see for sure in musical theater is to have a protagonist that may have corrupted a minor in a in the very literal sense yes (laughs) yeah yeah well, that's the thing with a lot of musical theatre is it's sometimes accused of being too, I guess, optimistic. Shallow. Yeah, that, and I don't think this is true. We've seen plenty of musicals on this show that really do give some lovely commentary on society and its life. But you can look at certain shows and just see them more as style but no substance so Mm -hmm. it's again very interesting that all of this conversation crops up from a musical like it's not the same sort of conversations that we usually have yeah that's true but it's a good thing like it's what we want right and and i think that that yeah i think that that's all stuff that i responded to i you know i love being challenged by art and i mean sometimes it's nice to just be able to escape into something and not even really have to think too much but um but this really does you know push you to think because it is exploring all these different subjects and doing it in a way that isn't black and white and you know, giving you an unconventional protagonist and giving you an unconventional setting for a musical and yet also giving you what feel like very traditional musical numbers throughout and a lot of, you know, really beautiful music and songs that sweep you up in the way that any any great musical 
does. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love the, the depth of the piece. I love the atmosphere of the piece. It's a really incredible musical, but it, there are challenging conversations to be had around it. Um, like I was saying, yeah, with Melina, not only the, the crime stuff, but also like, you know, Melina dresses um, very feminine and, you know, on, on one hand, I mean, I, I feel like, and, you know, we know that there's, there's a huge spectrum in, in the queer community, in the LGBTQIA community, and that, you know, that, that it, you don't want anyone to, like, in art, you want to avoid anyone feeling like a trope. I don't, yeah. like, my perception of Melina is not a trope, but I also see how Melina feels a bit like the depictions of homosexual characters during the sort of 70s and 80s. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're often um, very effeminate. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's all just a question of how you approach that sensitively so that you don't make Melina feel like a gay cartoon. Um, and, and I think with the right people involved in the project, then that's possible. And then also, you know, the other conversation to be had is really just about casting um, representation in terms of um, race, you know, because this is an Argentinian prison. Um, You know, this is South America and in the major productions, you know, Molina has, and played by a white guy. Yeah, it doesn't really fly, does it? That it is important to get the representation right, not just in gender and sexuality, but in terms of, well, in terms of everything. You want to exactly. see the right representation. Do you think, going back to what you said about how it's possible for Melina to be played a specific way. Do you think then that the performance that maybe people have been guilty of in the past just comes from their choice in adapting the character or do you think it's the way it's written? Well, Melina has always been, I mean, even in the writing is like depicted to to dress very femininely, to be very flamboyant. I mean, that's, that's certainly present in the writing. Um, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that too, you know, that that is certainly true to, to many people. And it's just a question of making sure that the right people are involved, the right people are involved creatively. Yeah. So that it is, you know, mm. it actually feels like it's being an authentic character and, and not yeah. just like not a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. And that can come certainly from any future productions that happen that if the right actor gets the role, they can approach it, they have the freedom with this role that they can adapt it and make it less of a cartoon and more a realistic character. Mm. Cool. On that note, if you were to be cast in this show, or actually, first of all, would you want to be cast in the show? Would you want to perform in it? Or is this one that you love as an audience member? Because I feel that way about a lot of musicals sometimes. Or Mm. who would you want to be? cast as well i don't think that i should be cast in the the musical but you know if in some alternate reality uh and and certainly when i first knew the show i was obsessed with the song uh dressing them up which is Mm -hmm. melina's first uh like big character song um where he sings about working as a uh, a window dresser and you know that, that like how much of that like how great he was at that and that that's sort of like his skill that's his thing um so i there was a part of me that always wanted to be able to like play that but i would not do a good job of playing molina and i you know and i should never be cast in that role um and the other character that i love is aurora which i would also be terrible at <laughs> but I, I just i love her songs and of course like 
being a gay man. She's such a diva. Like, you know, I've disconnected with that. <laughs> no, I, I get what you mean. There's a lot of shows we've covered. And again, it's like, I, I like this role, but it's certainly one that I should not be involved in the conversation as to whether or not I play them. Mm-hmm. And it is, it, it is, it's one of those that in an alternate reality, in a, some parallel universe where the stars aligned, yes, this would be the role I would play in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, there's, I, I would, by the sounds of it, playing, you know, Spider Woman Aurora, I've seen the pictures and just the vibe. That would be such a fantastic role to get the opportunity to play. Just for the outfits, even. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just, just for the outfits. It, but, you know, it's, it's weird. This is the first one where I really know nothing and I can't ever say who I, I mean, like we say it's not one that any anyone can play you have a very specific playing type for a multitude of reasons but i would always get on board with that diva-esque character mm-hmm. yeah yeah you just got to be a killer dancer which is one reason i really couldn't play her yeah me either i'm a killer <laughs> dancer we... but probably because i'll end up killing someone with how bad yeah. i am <laughs> same we always say this. We're always like, well, who would you want to be cast as? Like we did School of Rock. And I was yeah. like, well, 100% I want to play Miss Mullins, but also I'm not a soprano. I know you sure. get cast as this character. But, you know, in my little fictional alternate reality where I'm a soprano, that is who I would want to be. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, singing-wise, it all is eventually out of my range for sure. I'm like... <laughs> I'm a baritone and, you know, so many of like the male roles in musical theater now are for tenors and I'm like bass baritone. So it's, you know, one key change and I'm out, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And you are basically speaking Russian to me now, the pair of you. (laughs) I'm an alto, so I'm not even like (laughs) anywhere on this. I just try my hardest. Yes. You, you certainly do, my dear. And that's all that really matters. Exactly. Like, I'm I'm the definition of the award for participation goes to. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. They should do that for the Tonys. It's just the participation award goes to. The like, lightning thief. <laughs> something. Something for some people. It's true. Although, really, you know, it's... Everybody deserves that, you know? Um, oh, yeah. For sure. Awards, awards, uh, whatever. Um, but I, I get it. Like when it comes to dancing, like your approach to singing may have been sort of my my dancing thing. Like when I was in high school, I had I had heard that they were going to be doing a production of Follies, which, and I was just like <laughs> obsessed with Stephen Sondheim. And I I was very close to saying that like a little night music was my favorite musical. Um, but I feel like Kiss of the Spider Woman just has like a greater like personal resonance for me um Mm -hmm. but so i heard about follies and but i'm in high school right so and it was like the community theater production was happening and i i reached out to them and they were like well you know we're going to be casting a few younger people as the some of the ghosts of the you know the main characters that we have like when they you know when they, they look at the past and you have like ghost buddy and ben and all that um so I still thought, oh, I'll just go for it because I love Follies. And they were also auditioning their, like, the Snow Queen at the same time. So so I, I did this audition and, like, I sang Company and um, did, like, a little reading and stuff. And the guy who was directing Snow Queen was like, yeah, like, I really I really want you to, like, do the show. And I'm just like, well, I want to do Follies. <laughs> and they were like, <laughs> okay, we'll come to the dance call tomorrow. And so I went to the dance call and I... I had no idea what I was doing. Like I wore these like running shoes, um, you know, like one attempt at a turn and I basically fell over. I just like left. It was like not the right place for me. In terms of the song, Sam, you know, by now we always ask the impossible question of what is your best song? What is your skip song? And the skip song doesn't necessarily mean it's the worst song, but we, we go with the barometer of if we're driving, what is the song that just isn't going to fill us with joy and we're more tempted to skip? Does this show have a best song for you? Does this show have a skip song for you? It's tough for me to narrow down like one best. Um, I would say, 
originally it was probably dressing them up, dressing them up because it was like my favorite song to sing. Um, I would say now where you are is probably my favorite. And that's during one of the, the fantasy numbers and ties very strongly into the theme of the show, you know, singing like uh, you've got to learn how not to be where you are. The more you face reality, the more you scar, like, you know, it's really about like the need to kind of escape from like your dark reality. Um, and, but it's also just such a like fun, catchy number. And it was one that would get performed fairly often. I think that was even their Tony performance. So um, there are definitely clips of that. Uh, yeah. The other moments that are really great to me. Um, so anything for him, which is this duet of Melina and Valentin um, before they sleep together um, and just before Melina is going to be released, um, where we kind of really, we established that Melina has these feelings for uh, Valentin and Valentin is kind of saying like, he'd do anything for me. I can tell he'd do anything for me. I know him well. If we touch before he goes, he'll make that call. So you, you sort of see that this is all kind of like building to, to what's going to happen. And it then they, they thread in Aurora or really like sort of the kiss of the spider or the, the spider woman um, singing like soon. I feel it soon. Somehow I will have him or at you like any minute now. And that all sort of comes together and it climaxes into the spider woman moment, you know, the, her going yeah. into the kiss mm -hmm. of the spider woman, like the, the song. Um, and so it's really like that whole movement, like the build of anything for him into um, kiss of the spider woman. Um, it's nice when it has that culmination. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible, incredible um, and then and, and I just really love especially Brian Stokes Mitchell singing Marta um, you know you'd have to like hear the the recording but there I, it's another song I do love to sing but then it's like at the key change it goes too too high for me to like quite nail it um, even though you know I, I should be a little bit more in Brian Stokes Mitchell's range but I mean but he's to the stratosphere uh, he's so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm really trying to hold myself back from singing right now. <laughs> I, I wouldn't blame you if you sung. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that all the time. If there's a song I love and I hear it, even if it just comes into my mind and like <laughs> School of Rock is perfect evidence of this. Once those songs are in my head and I start talking about them, all I want to do is sing and I won't get satisfaction until I have sung. Mm -hmm. <laughs> No, for sure. Yeah, it's like as I'm trying to describe it, it's like I I want to sing the moment, but then I also feel like I don't know how it's gonna come out. I'm probably gonna like go into some <laughs> weird key. I'm gonna like suddenly forget the melody because I'm like just in the moment. Um, uh, but yeah, just there is something very powerful in in Marta, even though it's like a it's a smaller song, and he's just sort of like reflecting on his girlfriend on the outside. Um, and sort of reflecting on these these moments that they had together, just sort of like lying in bed and smoking cigarettes, and um, yeah, it was, but uh, it's good. It's 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 good. <laughs> it really is. It's just a nice song. Yeah, I just I love when he goes to like uh, I close my eyes and I hear her step and I know she's come to hold me. Uh, See, I just so I so want to sing it. I just don't think I'm gonna do it justice. <laughs> well, now you have to come up with a skip it song. I think that my skip song would be "You Could Never Shame Me," which I I appreciate the sentiment of it, of course, you know, and it's Molina's mother singing. Um, but also if you were like driving in your car, having a bop to the rest of these songs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's just, it feels like, like I said, I love the sentiment of it, but it just, it, uh, it's really just kind of like forcing that. Like I, 
I feel like we already kind of know that based on like what we see with his relationship with his mother. Um, and it, yeah, it, and it's a tender moment, but right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not jamming out to it for sure. And, um, and when they, when they used it in Katie Keene, I just felt like, okay, I get why you're using it in this moment, but also it just feels like a little too much. And because of the way that they were musicalizing the episode, it almost rang a little bit false to have someone just like go into the song, you know, but that's separate. Anyway, the Katie Keene thing is separate, but um, yeah. <laughs> so that, that probably would mean, be. Though, like they come across a bit disingenuous when they use them, like where they've already, they've obviously just like written an episode and then they're like, oh, this one goes here. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. Which is like totally like that's fine if it's just the moment where you're trying to like convince the person that they should do the production and we're just going to go into like dressing them up i love it dressing them up you know or whatever like sure cool but if it's supposed to be this really like tender emotional like very real moment i'm i'm less likely to buy it you know yeah Yeah. lots of spoilers with this one but if you did have to say to someone and you were forced to do it without spoilers what would what do you think is the selling point of this musical that that you think you could say this in a way that would be so enticing people had to seek it out well i think that the the candor and ebb angle of it is certainly appealing uh for folks who love chicago and cabaret um and just being able to talk about you know like this is um a musical that is set in a prison um and you have a character who is escaping into these sort of big Hollywood musical production numbers um, throughout to sort of deal with the the prison experience. It's certainly examining a, a type of queer experience and um, also dealing with like, you know, the South America political revolutionaries in like the 70s and 80s. Um, Actually, this is a really scattered pitch. This is not a very good pitch that I'm giving right now. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I think it, like so much of it really is about just having to to be set in this like stark prison environment and yet have these like just lavish, um, catchy production numbers and and I just feel like the Spider Woman herself is such a, a great selling point because people really are intrigued by that mysterious diva presence of lingering potential death which is always a fun like addition to any show that that feeling that something could be on the horizon it for me it's like the woman in black it works really well because you have this character shrouded in mystery and they crop up at moments and they just whenever it happens you you are you, you immediately on the, on the edge of your seat and you feel that tension increase exactly Melina's like carrying this omen around with him. Yeah. And just right. right. Yeah. Because, you know, and I think another, like when we talk about queer identity and like queer representation in media and in art, you know, another thing to address with this show is the sort of, um, you know, bury your gaze trope. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because we do have this protagonist who dies in the end. Um, and really dies trying to help this straight guy. It is his story. We're with him the whole time. Um, I think it helps to know that because Aurora is there, it's not meant to just shock you that it happens, that like we are haunted by the possibility of death at every turn. Like we are in prison and violence is all around all the time. Um, And, you know, that his happiest place to exist is in this fantasy realm. And so by the end, he has, he's like once again in the fantasy realm, but now he's really the star of his own fantasy. But you know, to say like, oh, well, he's happier to be dead. <laughs> you know, it, like that, there are different reads that can be had there. 
And, and I recognize it again, that there's a complicated conversation to, to be had around that. And um, for me, based on the way that the whole uh, piece is structured, I find it satisfying. Like the journey is satisfying, but does the character have to die? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, it's a trope and a, a device that is seen far too frequently in media. And unless it serves an actual purpose, I think is... It really does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like with the world that we are being brought into, that it feels more justified than in many other cases justified quote unquote, but just that this is kind of the nature of everything that's happening and and that we know that it's kind of a possibility at any moment and the character yeah. has also made a decision knowing that it's a dangerous decision um mm. yeah regardless of his sexuality he was never getting out of this yeah that's it is it's it's it feels like he's carrying this omen like he is cursed his destiny is that he's not going to make out of this experience yeah it's not through the narrative happening that it switches and it suddenly becomes the focus that this is going to happen to this character it's like destiny exactly and it also isn't like he isn't killed for being gay or um he isn't or, or, you know, how, and I'm not sure, actually, like, they don't really specify, like, a particular sexual identity or even um, a gender identity necessarily. So, you know, that's something else that really could be examined uh, with a, a more modern production. Um, and with the Katie Keene thing, it's interesting, too, because the Jorge character is uh, a drag performer and is trying to do the show... Um, in both the roles of Melina and Aurora. But yeah, so, but going back to what we were talking about, um, yeah, so it isn't because of his identity that he's killed, um, although, you know, there it's tied to his feelings for this man that he has developed, but, you know, th that there's also, like, a, a friendship in that bond, um, and and it isn't, like, a suicide, thankfully, which is another... Yes. Awful trope. Yep. Yeah, it, it's it's that tragedy, but it, it feels a bit more appropriate, I guess, for the show we're watching as opposed to other shows where it's kind of just thrown in for the shock factor. Or exactly. I've loved talking to you about this show, and you, definitely a show that I never heard of is now a show that is high on my watch list. If it ever does return in any form before we do sign off you obviously you're not just a fan of musicals you write musicals and do. you do have a, a very exciting project on the horizon indeed yeah so i have been working on uh, a series of horror podcast musicals um many of them do have some queer elements in them um and so we are going to be kicking the season off with a a shorter musical Halloween special of sorts at Halloween called uh, Total Horror Show. And and then we have an entire season of musicals uh, coming after that. Um, and we, well, let's see. So now this is what, October 29th? Yes. Uh, so yeah, so we already have a promo out uh, that showcases a little bit from that special as well as um you know little nods to the rest of the musicals that are on the horizon um so it's called midnight musicals and we are on the uh the socials um m musicals pod on twitter uh midnight musicals pod on instagram we are at midnight musicals pod.com um, if people want to get on the mailing list or looking for more information. And then, you know, I personally am also on Twitter and Instagram. 
Yes, you are. We've shouted you out many a week, but we, you, you uh, always provide some fantastic content as well over on your Twitter, at uh, Jared Good. Uh, and I'm very excited for your Midnight Musicals because I know we've spoken about it a few times uh, through the years it's been in development. I'm so excited to see it launch and, and listen to it. And we'll, for the listeners out there, I will make sure that the social medias are available on this episode. So go and find them because I'm very excited. I love a good musical. I love some horror. I'm ready for this. And I can't wait to see what what it is. How, how it is when it comes out me too me too <laughs> um, and, and thank you and thank you for um thank you for your ongoing support of the project you know when we we had launched our initial promo you know almost a year ago uh to, to showcase the main musicals in the the season and so here we are several months later um finally getting ready to to take some material to the world and um i'm i'm thrilled for people to hear it um it's been really fun to to put all of these together and to continue putting them together to to have almost like a little bit of um our own you know theater season of sorts which it you know it sort of is because we have a a collection of musicals and then we'll take a break and then we'll we'll leap into a, a second season of of musicals and you know and it's nice to create musical theater when you know, it's it's hard to do stuff in a live setting. It's hard to make it accessible for everyone when you're working at an, an independent level. And I think, you know, creating podcast musicals does make um, the material accessible and it makes it available for a much longer period of time and you know, just hopefully can reach the people that will enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like, it's a fantastic medium to get a project out there just because you know something's successful on broadway that's not accessible to the rest of america the rest of the world so having it in podcast format you've got a global audience and i'm case in point we're over here in england and i can't wait to listen to it if this was just something in america i'd have to wait for the pro shot mm-hmm. <laughs> right exactly <laughs> um yeah yeah so Thank you. Thank you. I, I am, I'm excited for the launch. And yeah, and we're really lucky that there's uh, a preview of the audio here. So we're going to play this preview of Midnight Musicals. Midnight Musicals presents Total Horror Show. We're off checking on our friend. Cause we think he might be dead Oh my god, he's not dead Yes, I'm sure that he is dead I can see it in my head And I haven't seen a dead body since my grand open casket He lives all the way out here? Shady Cove? That happens in places called Shady Cove Oliver, are you around? Guys, I think I found him <gasps> What the f*** is going on? What was I thinking? So crazy, one of us will be dying here tonight. And that was an exclusive preview of Midnight Musicals. Midnight Musicals can be followed on all good podcast platform providers on Halloween. The official trailer and promo will release that day. But the first episode, Total Horror Show, will debut on the 8th of November. Thank you so much to Jared Good for joining us for this episode of It's Your Favourite Musical Podcast. You can find the socials for Midnight Musicals Podcast in the episode notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. And you can join us on TikTok at It's a Musical Pod and follow our behind the scenes adventures that we get to live and now you can too. You can also follow us on all good podcast platforms. And if you like what we do, why not head over to podchaser.com, Apple Podcasts or Good Pods and leave us a review and tell us what you like about this show. Have a wonderful Halloween. We hope you have enjoyed the spooky season. Next stop, Christmas.